Uh, Scott's going nowhere uh, for the next four years, at least, I think. So uh, thank you. And as we talked about last week, we believe in a God that is not a God of fear, but a God of love. Uh, and uh, we're going to continue to talk about God um, today. And uh, I thought about kind of recapping everything, but I don't want to do that, other than to remind us uh, that what we learned last week was that God is a God who created the world. We did not create the world. God created the world. And in those times when we perhaps struggle with being thankful for what we have or knowing that everything we have is a gift, God is here to remind us that he created the world. Or in those times when we are anxious or worry, and oftentimes those are signs of when we are trying to control the uncontrollable, God says, no, I'm the one who created the world. God is a God of beauty and a God of creativity, and God gives us freedom. And Sometimes in that freedom we choose to worship creation rather than the creator, but that God is there to give us freedom because he longs for us to join him, just as Josh and Kelsey said, to join him in what he is doing in the world. And so today we're going to keep looking at God because I want us to take at least these two weeks to focus on the subject of who is God. And so today we're going to look at two scripture passages, one in the Old Testament, one in the New, at the 23rd Psalm that is very familiar to most of us, and then from the Gospel of Matthew. So let's read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. And our second scripture passage is one that we typically only hear on Christmas Eve, and so we get a treat that we get to hear it here on September the 18th. The Gospel of Matthew says, Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph... But before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife. But had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for this opportunity that we have to gather together in your presence and to be reminded of who you are. To be reminded, God, that You are the God who created us, the God who loves us, the God who is with us. 
And so I pray this morning that we would be open to the many ways, God, in which we see you. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So I thought that last week was a a good week to look at the beginning of God's world in order to understand who God is a little bit better, and that this week... Maybe in order to understand God even more, it would be good to look at the beginning of Jesus' life here on earth. So what do we learn, especially in the Gospel of Matthew in this first chapter, about who God is? Well, the first thing that we learn is that God is the one who initiates the relationship with us. Right? Just like God initiated the creation of the world, so too does God initiate our relationship with us. One commentator says, it is the Holy Spirit and not human initiative that brings Jesus into personal life. First Mary's and then ours. Now this is something that we talk about a fair amount in the Presbyterian church because we believe it strongly. Which is that it's somewhat anti-American, but what it says is that we can't do this on our own. Right? That what we need is a relationship with God and that that relationship is a gift. And one of the things that we do to enact that the, the physically is when we baptize infants. This is something that we talk about oftentimes whenever we baptize a baby. Because whenever the baby is up there, the only thing the baby can do is cry, Right? All the baby can do is cry and have water poured on it. The baby's not running away typically. And it is this great image for us that before we can make any movement towards God, that God has already made a movement towards us. Much like what Josh and Kelsey were just saying. That oftentimes, perhaps not always so vivid, but oftentimes it is Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes the first move towards us. And that doesn't mean that we don't do anything to respond, but it does mean that God is the primary movement. And one of the ways I think that we kind of see that tension is is something that I was thinking about was the way that I responded and Megan responded when we had our first child, Shaughnessy. This was seven years ago now, and, and I remember pretty vividly those emotions that I had. First, you know what, you're, you're really excited when that baby comes out. It's great. It's exciting. But then, day after day, week after week, you begin to realize that you are giving and giving and giving, and you are getting nothing in return, right? I mean, all she did was cry and go to the bathroom and cry, and we woke up in the middle of the night, and Megan fed her, and one of us changed the diaper. I like to think it was 50-50. It probably wasn't. It was probably 60-40, but it was something like that, and don't ask Megan. And, and then we'd, we'd hold her and we'd, we'd burp her. And then we'd clean up the places where she burped up. I don't mean to be graphic, but this is real life. And then she would cry and she, she would look around. She couldn't even really see us right. She's just kind of blind, like not even knowing that we are the ones who are giving everything to her. And she wouldn't even smile. And so we got nothing. And it was remarkably exhausting. 
And it seems to me that perhaps that's a, a similar image to, to what God is at the beginning of the relationship that he has with us, that we sit there and we cry and we whine about things and we don't really actually even see him and there's no joy. We're not saying thank you. We're just kind of there. But God, of course, is a patient parent and continues to love us and care for us despite the fact that we seem to not be reciprocating in any way. Now the hope, of course, is that at some point, much like with Shaughnessy, right, where eventually she would look and she'd be like, wait, there's somebody significant. I recognize you. And and finally she would begin to smile a little bit at us and and even begin to say thank you, right? And, and, And then greatest of all, you know, is when she would come running towards you, right, in this great kind of grasp, right? And hopefully, right, in this relationship with God, there comes a time when we begin to recognize God, right? That we begin to see him and perhaps even begin to live joyfully and begin to live lives of gratitude. But the reality is at first, it is God, just like it's a parent, who is creating and helping and shaping and forming. God makes the initial move towards us. That's the God that we believe in, and it's the God of the Scripture, it seems to me. But not only is it God who initiates, it is God who is always surprising. God loves to surprise us. Right? Mary and Joseph and none of their contemporaries would have expected God to work as he did. Jesus was always doing things to surprise them, whether it was being born in Bethlehem without any kind of royal family per se, whether or not it was in healing people, whether or not it was the people with whom he was eating, whether or not it was working on the Sabbath or being raised from the dead. All of those things are fairly surprising, right? And this is my point. Most of us think if we'd been around, we would have been expecting it. Most of us think that if we'd been around, well, we would have known that was Jesus. No, you wouldn't have. Right? Most of us think, well, we would recognize him. And the reality is, no, because we think, we like to think that we have God figured out. We like to think, no, God's not going to surprise us. And we put God in this great little box over here. And we think, oh, this is perfect. I know everything about God. And then we turn around and say, wait a second. How did you get over here? Right? Because God is a God who surprises us, which means that we should have some sense of humility. Because we can't have God all figured out. And not only should we be a people who are humble because of that, we should be a people who are full of joy because of that. One of the things that seems to me, one of the most joyless groups of people that I have discovered are Christians who think they have God all figured out. One of those reasons is because they're usually full of pride. And most prideful people are not very joyful because they're scared that at any moment something's going to happen to them to make them feel worse than they feel about themselves. And secondly, it's because there's no joy when you think you've got it all figured out. And you think, well, there's a situation in which God's not going to work because I can't foresee any way in which God can work that out. And here's a situation over here that seems to be fairly hopeless, really. I would never say that, but that's the reality because I've never seen God work in that type of way. And we go down like that. But one of the things that I love being raised in the Pentecostal church is the fact that there was always a chance that God was going to do something that was going to blow our minds 
something that was beyond what we could ever have imagined. In the Pentecostal church that believes that God is at work and will always do things that are crazy at times, then you always know that there is no situation that is without hope. There is no place that you can go that is not without the life of God, that God is at work, and that makes you joyful. We don't always see it in Presbyterian churches at times, it seems to me, because we know God works decently and in order. God oftentimes works decently and in order, as you will see in our congregational meeting after the 1030 service, but God also works in surprising ways for those who have the faith to believe that God does things that surprise us. God initiates. God surprises. But perhaps most significantly in these passages is that we learn that God is the God who is with us. If there is one preposition that I want you to keep in mind all week, it is that word, with. The 23rd Psalm, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. The angel comes down and talks to Joseph and Matthew, And says, you're going to call him Jesus, and he is going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Throughout the scripture, time and time again, what we see is that God is always telling us that he is with us. One of the interesting things that researchers discover is that a majority of Americans, of course, they believe in God. They even believe in a Christian-y sort of God. But as we've talked about before, by and large, the phrase that sociologists have used for Americans and their understanding of God is that they believe in a therapeutic, moralistic, deistic God. Which means a God who makes you feel good. A God who gives you a few rules, mostly be nice to people, and a God who by and large leaves you alone. Right? That's the deistic. However, that is not the God that we see in Scripture. Because the God that we see in Scripture is a God who keeps saying, I am not going to leave you alone. In fact, I am with you always. Right? In Genesis, we see Isaac, God coming down and telling Isaac, I am with you. In Judges, we see him coming to uh, Gideon and saying, I am with you. In Jeremiah, he tells the people, I am with you. In Acts, Paul says to him, I will be with you. The 23rd Psalm. We talked about this a couple summers ago. The 23rd Psalm. What is at the very center of that psalm? It is the phrase... For thou art with me. 26 Hebrew words go before that phrase. 26 Hebrew words go after that phrase. At the very central point, God is with you. The Gospel of Matthew, Emmanuel, God with us. That's how Matthew begins. Who can tell me what the last sentence of Matthew is? It's in the 28th chapter. It's Jesus talking, and he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you sense a theme there? 
that throughout the Gospels, Jesus is always telling them, I am with you. I am so with you that I am here physically with you. And that's important for us to remember. One of the great things about that, of course, is that it means in our time of fear and distress and anxiety that God is with us. Right? When I talked about this two summers ago, I brought up the story about my dad right, in, a, in hotels. And I, I mentioned the fact that my dad is in a notorious tightwad. Right? And, and perhaps you remember, I said that if, if we ever walked into a hotel room and there were less than 10 cockroaches that my dad knew he had paid too much. Right? And so it was always a very frightening experience. Kids, most kids like going to hotels. I hated going to hotels because I knew this was not going to be good. And so we'd lay there in bed, right? And, and dad would be on that bed and I'd be in this bed over here. And, and I'd wake up in the middle of the night. And it's always scary when you're a kid and you wake up in the middle of the night. You're in an unfamiliar place. It's very dark out. And in my situation, I knew at any moment I was going to be attacked by cockroaches or something worse. And so I'd sit there, right? And I'd be afraid. And I'd wonder, is my dad here, right? But I couldn't jump over. I couldn't go over and see because you never want to walk on that carpet. A, you don't all know what's there. And B, everyone knows that monsters are always in between beds. And so you couldn't do that. And so I would just sit there and wait, right? Until finally the cheap, ridiculous air conditioner would shut off for a moment and then I would listen. And as soon as I heard him breathing, I knew that my father was with And even though I was still in an unfamiliar and a scary and a dark place, it made all the difference in the world. It was a remarkable piece knowing even in the midst of that, that God, that my dad was with me. It doesn't mean that God's always going to change everything going on around us, but it does mean that in the midst of those struggles and strain that God is with us. But, and this is important to understand, God is not just with us in those dark and difficult moments. God is with us at all times. You see, the interesting thing about the research that's been done on what Americans believe is that actually they are okay with God being with them. But just during the difficult and painful times. After that, After that, they would prefer God to go elsewhere, to go up to the heavens or to go someplace else. They don't really need God then, which, quite frankly, I understand. It would be nice at times to just have God there in those more difficult moments. But you see, if we want to be able to follow the God of Scripture, then we can't just say, well, God, I'd like for you to be here then and not here then. Because what you begin to see is then God's not really God. You are actually God. You're not really worshiping God. You're just worshiping somebody that looks like God, but it's actually you. And you see, what we see in the Gospel of Matthew is that the angel comes down and says, Emmanuel, God with us, God is going to be with you. And here's the thing. He is going to save his people from their sins. What's great about that is that what he doesn't say, which is not God is going to save all of those other people from their sins. No, what God is saying is he is going to save you from your sins. 
sins. And that means all of you, not just the certain segments that you want to have saved or restored or healed. Dale Bruner has this great point where he says that most radicals, which is what Jesus was, most radicals, in order to foment a community and have people come around them, they always have an external enemy to get angry about. We might see that in today's world as well. They'll always come up with an external enemy, which is perfect because then you don't ever have to examine yourself. But what Jesus says is, oh no, I am with you. I am with every single part of you, even those parts of you that you would like to hide, even in those parts, there's God with a flashlight saying, oh, I see you. Which means that God is there in the dark times and when we are mourning and when we are afraid and that God is with you on your business trips, when you're writing your checks, at home, at work, when you're on the road, driving, that God is always with you. And while it might be easier at times to be able to say, no, God, I don't want you in this part. I don't want you with me right now and right here. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us says, you don't get to choose. I am here with you in all places. I thought about that a lot, especially the very last one. It's why I included it. I'll be honest with you. I wish that God was not with me when I was in my car. I would have a lot more freedom, quite frankly. A little while back now, I was, uh, I, I questioned whether I should tell you this, but I decided I'm going to share it anyways. I was, I was leaving church, and I was, uh, I was going north on Michigan. I was going to turn left on 116th or Sycamore, and if you've done that, you know there's two lanes in which you can turn left, right? And now, here's the thing about me when it comes to driving. I have a real sense of fairness and justice. Now, now usually that tilts towards me, probably, but I have a sense of fairness and justice. And so when I pulled up, there was a guy in the left lane, right, already, and, 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 and so I went into the right lane. Now, as a sense of fairness and justice, if that person got there first, knowing that eventually, right after you turn, you have to merge into one lane, well, then that person should go first. And so I wasn't going to try to, you know, spin my wheels out and try to get there in front of them. That would be wrong. Well, right before the light turned green, all of a sudden another car came up behind that first person. And in a sense of fairness and justice, of course, he was the third person there, which means that when we merge, he should be the third person, right? Aren't we all agreed on that? You are, unless you were that guy. And so sure enough, we drive, right? And there I am, and I'm like, and I start to go over, and he gets really close to that first car. He is not going to let me get over, and I think, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep coming. And, and before you know it, I was on the shoulder, and I was still trying to come over, and, and, and all of a sudden, my fists are clenched because that's what it was. And all of a sudden, I see a car coming on the opposite direction. And so I had to think, Jerry, is this that important? And so I braked, but I didn't brake happily. And so I got behind him, and, I, and, and let me be clear, I was praying. I believed that God was there, but I was not praying, oh, dear Lord, 
thank you for being with me. And because of that, I realized that this is not that big of a deal. And so I'm going to reflect on the creation. And, oh, look, there's Eagle Creek. How beautiful it is this time of year. And, oh, look at the kids at Lions Park. What a great place this is. And, and you know what? That person in front of me, God, I'm not real pleased, but I believe you're with him as well. So whatever's going on inside of him, I pray that you would be with him. No. My prayer was this. God, please, let that light be red at Main Street because I am going to go say something to him. God or somebody listened, and the light was red. And so I got out of my car. Now, now let's be clear. Lest there be any video of this, let me be clear. I did not go out kind of screaming. I didn't take a bat. I didn't hit the car. I didn't do any of that. I was controlled. I simply wanted to ask him what he was thinking. I mean that, mostly. And so as I, as I walked towards, I was hoping I didn't recognize him, which is why you can imagine my surprise when Scott Shelton rolled down his window. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No one would believe that. If I had said John Grabiel, people would be like, oh, yeah, I could see that. So he rolled down his window, and so we had a little discussion. It was fairly brief. The light turned green before too long, and I walked back to my car, and I sat down, and there was a part of me that felt really good. I said, he's not going to do that again anytime soon. Justice. But I also sat down, and, and, and actually, no, I didn't sit down. In the weeks that have followed, I have reflected, and I have begun to wonder, God, what, what, what was going on in here? And, and is there some part in here, some reason why that was such a big deal that made me react like that? The reality is I would much prefer to reflect on him and how selfish that was what he had done and how he hadn't been thinking about it and how it wasn't just. I would, I would much prefer to spend all of my time thinking about all the things that he did wrong. But as I began to think about it more, even more just in the last weeks or so, I began to realize, well, is there something that kept me from having grace or being patient? That perhaps God wants to begin to shine a light on inside of me. The reality is it would be easier for us at times if God was not with us in all places and at all times. But we serve a God who is not distant and who is not distracted. It's a little scary to think that God is with us at all times. But what I'm also here to tell you this morning is that what makes that possible and less scary is to remember what I said at the beginning, which is that God initiated this relationship with us. Not because he thought that we would be great, calm, patient drivers. Not because he thought that we would give lots to him and be generous and do wonderful things. Not because he thought that we were going to be a perfect follower. No, he initiated it because he is a God of love. You see, God has been there since I was a boy. And God has been there, I hope, in times when he said, wow, well done, you are reflecting me. But I also know that God has been there many times when I have not reflected him. 
And yet my guess is when I got out of that car, what God was saying, what Jesus was saying was, first of all, Deck, what are you doing? Because he always says Deck when I'm in trouble. Deck, get back in the car. But I also know that when I did return to the car, he was there to embrace me. He was to say, all right, man, we'll keep working on that part. We're not quite done. The beauty is that God loves us too much to let us go. But also too much to allow us to stay the same. God wants to transform every part of us, to heal, to reconcile, to save every part of us. That's why he's Emmanuel. God with us in the difficult in the challenging times, in those times even when we would prefer him not to be, so that we might continue to look more and more like God, our creator, God, our savior, God, Emmanuel, God with us, until he returns again. Amen.